The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, again, welcome here. My name is Brent, and it's my joy to bring you the Word of God this morning from the passage that was just read by uh, by Emma uh, by Irene. I got Emelina and announcements, and Irene on the scripture reading mixed up. Uh, but before we get into this text, it's just so appropriate that we uh, seek the Lord together and ask for His help to to work by the power of His Holy Spirit to bring that text to life to help us to see it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives. So would you please pray with me before we get rolling? God, we come to you and we do want to learn more from your word this morning. God, we want to, we want to see wonderful things in your word. Glorious things are written here for our encouragement and edification to challenge us, to strengthen us, to cause us to to live more fully into the life that you want for us in Jesus. So God, would you work powerfully right now? Would you remove the distractions that are in this room? Lord, would you prevent uh, the deceit of the enemy from having his way in our heart? Lord, that we could hear and receive these words and be changed by them. Lord, that we become more like Jesus here, that his rule and his reign would increase here and that that would be a blessing and and a a flourishing example of what life can be in Jesus for all of Vancouver. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Well, in Canada's constitution, the words uh, peace, order and good government have been written as this set of goals and instruction about what all of our legislation is supposed to live up to. And regardless of what you think about the present government uh, or any other governments, it's true that Canada has been blessed with much peace, much order, and much good government. These words are interesting. They're not quite the catchy phrase of our neighbors in the South, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But they're so fundamentally important. And they're kind of the, the thing that if they're working well, you hardly know that they're there. But if things go badly, 
right? And we become a little bit more uh, like Syria, a little bit more, say, like the Congo. And we realize, oh man, we didn't even know how good we had it. And we long now for peace and for order and for good government. Because these things are necessary for us to increase and to flourish in life. And I bring this up because... Paul's logic in the passage that we just heard read, it goes a direction that I think we might naturally find a little bit unusual. See, Paul's been talking about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's been talking about the good news of that resurrection life, and he's been explaining and unpacking it like there's an order to it. Do you see that in the text? That that first Jesus is raised. And then he says, after Jesus is raised, then when he returns, all those who belong to Jesus will also be raised with him. And then he says, and then the end comes and we actually lose his logic all of a sudden, right? Because he just seems to switch topics from life and resurrections to the dominion of Jesus. And I go, Paul, I don't follow. <laughs> how, how is the reign and the rule of Jesus the same kind of thing as the resurrection life? Of Jesus. Well, Paul, I think, moves through this connection and through this logic because Paul understands something very fundamental. He knows that good dominion brings life. And Paul knows that something has gone terribly wrong in the dominion that is in this world. And that the dominion of humankind has brought incredible death. And he knows that it is only the reign of the resurrected Jesus Christ who will fix what is wrong and who will bring more life. So it's not a different sort of thing. The resurrection of Jesus in life is the same kind of thing as the increase in the rule and reign of Jesus bringing dominion that allows for flourishing life. These are the things that our passage is about this morning. The the good news of the life-giving dominion of Jesus. So we're going to unpack this. We're going to look at the good news of the life-giving dominion of Jesus. And I'm praying that as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we start to unpack what we see here, that we would come to recognize and to embrace and to submit to Jesus because he is such a good ruler. I'm praying that we be challenged in our own lives personally, whether we are Christians or we're we're not this morning, to reckon with the reality that he is the ruler of all things. To start to wrestle in our own hearts with, what does that say about my life? Where is my life out of line with the rule and the reign of this king who reigns in life? All right, to understand Paul's logic, we're going to have to look at Jesus' dominion. Yes, we're also going to have to look at the broken dominion that Jesus replaces, the dominion of Adam. So we're going to have two points this morning. We're going to look first at the dominion of Adam, and then we'll look second at the dominion of Jesus. So let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 24 together, and think about our first point, the reign of the dominion of Adam. Paul writes this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Now, notice in these verses that Paul contrasts two 
different families of humankind. First, there's the family of Adam and all of Adam's descendants. That's Adam and naturally speaking, all of us who biologically have been related to Adam, right? And the way that that led to death and death reigned. And he contrasts, on the other hand, Jesus is the beginning of a new humanity, a second Adam, if you want to use that language who now has a new humanity in him. And the new humanity in Jesus are all of his descendants. And that's you and I, those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and become followers of Jesus. We are now this new humanity with a new head, Jesus Christ as our Lord. We see that Adam and his descendants, they're characterized by death. Paul says, as in Adam all die, but Jesus Christ and his descendants are characterized by life. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Now just notice for a second that that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. And that's not always clear, right? We think Jesus Christ, you know, that's his first last name, just like us. It's actually a title. He's Jesus, the Messiah. Christ is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, the promised one, the promised Savior who was going to come and fulfill God's promises to redeem this broken world that was dead in the sin of Adam, the first head of humanity. And now that Christ has come, he, he comes bringing a new family that reigns in life. It's very interesting, isn't it? Death, life, Adam, Christ. Why is it that Jesus brings life? And why is it that that our reign as our old humanity in Adam brought death? And I know we looked at this a little bit last week, but I want to go somewhere a bit deeper with it and unpack it because I don't think we can understand what's in the text before us unless we start to realize what humankind was made for in the first place. We start to look at what humankind was made for in the first place. We'll start to see how Jesus brings about a new dominion of life. So let's try to understand this. What is... God making humankind for in the first place. We're going to unpack that looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. You can read it with me. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So humankind made in God's image, male and female. Men don't have the, the, the corner on the market of being made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, it's men and women together that are the image of God in this world. And these verses in the first chapter of the Bible, they tell us that, that this special place of humankind is unique. It's the beginning. It's the the head of all of the created order. We have this special privileged place as human beings to rule this created order. And we alone, Adam and Eve, and then all of us, we were created alone of all of God's creatures in the image and the likeness of God. Look at verse 26 and 27 again. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, to be made in the image and likeness of God, it doesn't mean that we look exactly like God. 
After all, Jesus in John chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 24, said that God is spirit, right? So it's not that we look like God physically in our appearance. No, it's that to be made in the image and likeness of God means that we represent God's rule over this created world. In fact, that word image in its original ancient context was used about kings and the way that they represented their rule in the far-flung corners of their kingdoms. All right, so if you were an ancient king, this was before FaceTime, this was before Zoom, uh, this is before news broadcast. If you wanted to get a conference call with your subjects over in that place that took you four days to get to, uh, you couldn't do that. So what you'd do is you'd erect a statue made in your image to demonstrate I am still the ruler and the king over this territory because this statue represents that for you. In the same way, God made Adam and Eve in his image to represent his rule over this earth. Because image and likeness, they have to do with reflecting God's character, God's goodness, God's presence. And what was intended was that everywhere that we went as human beings into this world, we would bear the image of our good and loving God. We would look like him. We would be like him. We would govern this world which he has given to us with the same goodness and righteousness and holiness and love of the God who had created us. That's why God commands Adam and Eve not to just stay in the garden, right? In verse 28, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill this earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Because God's purpose wasn't that we would just be in one corner, but that we would fill up this world with his own goodness and his own character as we ruled over it under him. He is God over all, and then him ruling through us as obedient children made in his image and his likeness. It's really beautiful. See, God didn't want us to have dominion like the way that we read dominion, I think. You know, in our context, we read the word subdue and dominion. We have very negative connotations, right? But that's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to just oppress things. And to subjugate stuff. You know, God's purpose is that he wants us to rule on his behalf and his own goodness over his world. So that wherever that dominion increased, life would increase. So as we built cities, imaging God rightly, these would be cities that were constructed with careful consideration about the good of the environment. The good of our friends and neighbors the good of everybody on this planet so that they'd be cities that would flourish with life. So that as we built industries, they'd be built not on greed, not just on how much money I can get and no matter what the cost is for everybody else, but built on principles, the same goodness and character and self-giving love of the God that we served. So this world wouldn't be full of, of wars and pride and conflicts, but for, full of cooperation and, and self-giving and, and the goodness of the God that we serve. Even the animals in this world will be cared for. By the way, I don't know if you know this, William Wilberforce, uh, the famous abolitionist in, in England, uh, he was one of the founders of the SPCA. Because the SPCA was founded explicitly on Christian principles which come from this passage of Scripture. This idea that as Christians, we are to care for the animals, for the creatures, for this world that we live in. 
right? And the Bible doesn't say anything about vegetarianism other than the Daniel passage. You can get into that another time. But, uh, but it does talk about caring for the world that God has given us, including the animals in this world. I think we've gotten away from that a little bit, even as Christians, uh, if, uh, if I'm honest. See, we were made for good dominion of this world. Do you know that? You, as a human being, were made for a purpose. The good dominion of this world that God has made. It's beautiful. The psalmist exalts in this in Psalm 8. He says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars which you set in place, he's like, "What what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, but you've crowned him with glory and with honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Sound familiar? Under his feet? That sounds like the passage written in 1 Corinthians, doesn't it? Because this passage written in 1 Corinthians quotes from Psalm 8 and from a few other Psalms. Now, it hardly needs articulating our dominion has not gone well. Hasn't gone well in ancient history. Hasn't gone well today. Because rather than represent God's <clears throat> rule and character, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve said, no way, God. <laughs> See that you've asked us to follow you and obey you, but we're not going to do it. We've got a better plan. We're going to do it our way. And as a result of their sin and their rebellion against God, humankind itself was separated from relationship with God and enslaved to our sin. And through our sin, we brought all this death and corruption and suffering into this world that we experience, that we see. So much so that it's kind of like human beings have the opposite of the Midas touch. You know the Midas touch? You know, the King Midas touch thing turns to gold. We touch things and they turn to death. And I'm not joking. Like, look at the long view of human history and you can see this, Right? I mean, as much as we find scientific advancements in a given area, uh, how often do we use those things to actually promote more death and subjugation and tyranny? As much as we use them for life, it's always this horribly mixed bag. How often do we, uh, in our consumeristic greed, destroy this world that God has given us and precious human beings made in his image? And if you feel, well, you know, it's not that way in Canada, you need to realize that even in our Western nations that are so proud, our green technology, our wonderful advances that we have, they're built on the backs of countries that we've just footed the bill to. We're not righteous. We're not ruling in the self-giving dominion and the goodness under the rule of God that he's called us to. And the bitterness and the selfish pride that, that's in us that we all experience, Right? That stuff's at work in our politics. It's work up in our international politics. And and that's where wars come from. That's where radical genocides come from. The same sin and corruption that is in our own human hearts. And the the ironic thing is that even when we see that our dominion in our sin is clearly rotten, We still protest God's revealed word in scripture that life can only be found in submission to God, don't we? We're like, it's got to be a different way. It can't be submission (laughs) because I don't want to go that route. 
Because I want freedom. I I don't care what it costs. I want to do the things that I want the way that I want in this world. And actually, maybe the problem isn't that that I need to submit. Maybe the problem is I don't have enough freedom to express myself more fully. And if I just did, then things would be okay. And yet, reality stares us in the face because in the most free society the world has ever seen, look around you. Right? The, the social problems in Vancouver are innumerable. Right? The, the mental health crises that we have around us, they're everywhere. It's not going well. Because our problem is that we're part of a rebellious humanity whose dominion is corrupt because of our sin. And we don't bring life. We bring death. As in Adam, I'll die. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 27, that the good news of Jesus' resurrection life must include the good news of Jesus' dominion in place of the dominion of Adam. The good news of Jesus' life must include the good news of his dominion in place of the dominion of Adam. Look at this passage with me in our second point, the dominion of Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. The good news of the gospel is that the good news of a new kind of reign, a new kind of dominion begins with Jesus. A new reign, not in death, but a new reign in life. Because Jesus, when he was born, when he came into this world, he entered into this world as the perfect human being, imaging God fully and complete that we were all intended to be. And he lived in this world in this perfect submission to God who's over all. He wasn't rebellious. He obeyed. Where we were disobedient, he was righteous. Look at Jesus' own words about his obedient relationship to God compared with the way that we rebel against him constantly. In John 5.30, Jesus says of his own relationship with God, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How different from you and I? Or John 8.28-29, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Or John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. See, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He's both at the same time. It's the the mystery of the incarnation, the hypostatic union. There's a lot of theological language Christians like to use about that. It's beautiful truth. But he entered this world of disobedient, rebellious human beings that brought destruction to his creation, right? As the God-man. And just think, what would you have done if you had entered this world with that power at your fingertips? Fully God, fully man. I don't think we would have we would have done what Jesus did. 
what we would have done is we would have stepped up to the plate, right? And we would have taken a swing at oppression. We would have subjugated tyranny with a mighty hand. All our enemies, we would crush beneath us because that's how we do dominion as human beings in our sin. But Jesus didn't use his dominion that way. He did something radically different in his weakness and self-giving. He conquered his enemies through his love. And in obedience to the Father, he exercised this new humanity dominion that he had by laying down his life and dying for his rebellious creation. And that's just so obviously good and strikingly unlike you and me. Just think about a CEO. What CEO would give up her power and authority to, to really bless her employees by just putting all that aside, divesting herself of all that she had to become the janitor who cleans the toilets in their office? Like, we just don't do that kind of thing. Or what prime minister would divest himself of his power and his authority to go and spend the rest of his life visiting the poorest and the sickest in all the places in their country. We don't do that sort of thing. Or even just think about your own life. Which of you would even give up the little bit that you've managed to attain in this life to really, truly divest yourself of what you have for the benefit of even one addict on the street of Vancouver? It's not how we use our power and authority. But Jesus, he exercises his dominion by emptying himself of all that could have been his as God incarnate. To die on the cross, to save us from our sins and from their consequences. He's just so good. Nobody loves like Jesus. Perfect and self-giving love. And the good news of the gospel is that his death, it wasn't the end, Christ said. He praised God. It was just the beginning. Because Jesus was raised from death as a head of a new humanity, no longer enslaved to our sin that causes our dominion to bring corruption, but the beginning of a new humanity who reign in the character of our loving God together with Jesus. It's gloriously good. See, Jesus' dominion is conquering and it's reordering all the dominion of death and suffering that we've brought into this world. I was thinking about this this week and I was thinking about an illustration for it. And I thought, oh, of course, it's just like my kid's messy bedroom. And that might not be apparent, but let me explain. It's, it's like my kid's messy bedroom because my kids think that they're going to find flourishing life doing the things that they want to do however they want to. And then pretty soon their room's a mess and they can't find the things that they're looking for and they're crying. They're like, I don't know where my toy is. You know, and it's, and it's terrible. And then what has to happen is a conflict of dominions. That Heather and I have to come into that bedroom and reorder it. We have to, to contest their dominion with our dominion and, and put all that stuff that's out of place back up on the shelves where it belongs so that, that life can happen. So we can continue on with our day without all the crying episodes, you know, and things will go well. There's a little bit 
I think that in some ways, Jesus' rule as the head of a new community is a little bit like that. Because in this disordered world, because of the chaos of our sin and our dominion, Jesus has now entered. And piece by piece, he's putting things back on the shelf. Right? Conquering all of the enemies of death until all things are properly under his feet so that life can truly flourish. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 27, for he must reign. Not he might reign, he must and he will. There's a certainty to this. Until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Even death is going to be put beneath Jesus' feet one day. Praise God. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, in verse 27, quoting from Psalm 8. It's just so beautiful. And does Jesus conquer through military might? Does he conquer through shrewd, shrewd political maneuvering? Or through manipulation and domination? No. No, Jesus is a king who expands his rule through his church as we proclaim the good news of his gospel message. I want to go to a different text with you right now, looking at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and the last words that are recorded from Jesus in the book of Matthew. Jesus tells his disciples as he ascends into earth as a king, or as about to ascend into heaven as the king of kings and lord of lords, as he's about to really grow his kingdom. And he commands his disciples these things. His all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a language of dominion. It's all his. And he commands his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, what we learn in this passage is that Jesus expands his rule through his church. That he does it not by commanding his disciples to start a new political system. Not by saying uh, we need to go and, and begin our own nation somewhere and do things a different way. No, but he commands us to expand the kingdom of Jesus by teaching everyone, everywhere, everything about Jesus. Go. And make disciples of all nations, everyone, everywhere. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want you to note how confident Jesus sounds in this passage. See, he's so utterly good and his dominion is so much better than ours that he's confident that all that has to be done to expand his kingdom is to share his good news. <laughs> The good news that there is life that is truly life found in submission to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And we know, of course, that when that message goes out, some will reject it. But others receive it. And as they accept that news about God who's come to reconcile sinners to himself through Jesus, we now joyfully follow and obey Jesus. We've not been conquered by, by force. We've been conquered by his love and we want nothing more than to grow in obedience to him. See, Jesus conquers his enemies not with the sword, but with his love. 
Here's the thing. That's not theoretical. Every person in this room who's become a follower of Jesus has experienced this. I've experienced it. Because there was a time in each of our lives when we thought the Bible was insane, Jesus was nuts, and there's no way we wanted to follow him. It's true. But as we came to see the goodness that he didn't die on the cross in abstract, but this is a God who became man who died on the cross to save me from my sins. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm a mess. I can hardly believe that. And as I've come to embrace that, as you come to embrace that, it changes us. It conquers us by his love. So that now it's like, man, you know what I want? I want to obey Jesus. More than anything in my life, I want to obey Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. I want to be ruled by the beauty and the glory of his Holy Spirit. So the same characteristics of God, his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his goodness and his gentleness and his faithfulness and his self-control, they fill my life up. And maybe a different kind of person in this world. This is how Jesus is growing his kingdom and it is good. And we can be part of it, Christ City. You know, I've been thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead a lot the last couple of weeks, as you guys know. But I keep, I keep finding that I'm provoked by these truths that we're reading. I'm provoked by them because I keep asking myself, man, how can I possibly respond to these realities that we're unpacking in Scripture properly? If I look at my life, I realize that there's a lot that's out of line with the truths that are on the page of Scripture here. And I've thought more and more about the resurrection of Jesus. Three things in particular have begun to stand out to me that I must do. That we must do because Jesus Christ truly is raised. And I want to share those with you as we conclude our time together this morning. First, it's just been hitting me so hard. <laughs> so this hits you. Stephen was saying I should turn the volume down because it's so to us not to be so convicting today. Uh, uh, Stephen, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm convicted right here with you. This is about to get tough. And I think the first thing that we need to do if Jesus is our resurrected King and Savior is that we need to urgently repent of our sin. Because here's the thing, he, he rules now through his invitation to receive his gospel message to be forgiven and reconciled to God. That's awesome. But there's a day that he's coming when he will return and, and where the time to receive that good news and that invitation will be over. And when he will rule over all, willingly or unwilling as all things are subjected beneath his feet. And if that's the case, then we have business to do with Jesus today. If that's the case, then the idolatry that consumes your life, the things that say, live for me, pursue me, instead of pursuing obedience to Jesus, those things have got to go. We've got to repent of them. 
And that sin that you're holding on to, that you've allowed that corner in your life, and you're like, Jesus, you can't touch it. It's got to be over. It's time to repent today, not tomorrow. Paul himself, he, he was grieved in much of his ministry by, by all these so-called Christians that confessed Jesus with their mouths but denied him with their lives. He was very concerned for them. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that it could be said of me often in my life that my God is my belly. I think it could be said of me often in my life that that the thing that I live for is really just my own comfort. But Paul's warning is strong. That way lies destruction. Instead, we need to rejoice that our citizenship is in heaven. To set our minds and our hearts on the things of Jesus. To live for him in every area in our lives. So Christ City, whose dominion are you expanding this morning? The dominion of sin in Adam or the dominion of a life in submission to Jesus Christ? And second, much more positively, since Jesus is our resurrected King and Savior, we have every reason to be confident. We have great reason for encouragement and for hope. We can be confident, bold, and courageous because do you know that the Savior who has loved you and given his life for you is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you realize that the Jesus you serve has won and is winning and will finally have the victory? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. There is no suffering, no obstacle, no death, no sin, no doubt, no weakness that you face that can keep his victory from being absolutely complete for you because of who he is. See, if he is who he says he is, then our lives ought to be characterized by courage and boldness to live for him. Not a blind optimism that goes out over enthusiastically and thinks that, all right, you know, tomorrow everything will be changed in Vancouver. No, that's not going to happen. We know that evil's still here, right? But a courage to know that our labor is not in vain as we follow Jesus. That what we do for him, serving him, it will make a difference. Even in the mundane, ordinary moments of our lives, there is confidence that we have in Christ, that even though we suffer, we will soon one day be with him forever in a world that has been fully subjected to him, including that last enemy, death. 
There's confidence in Jesus to know that even in the darkness, when you don't see his rule and his reign around you, when it seems like nothing is going well, we can know because of the declaration, the words of scripture that Jesus is reigning, that nothing can oppose him ultimately, that his life will win. And third, since Jesus is our resurrected King and Savior, we have more reason than we could possibly imagine to worship. We've got to repent. We've got to be confident, but we have to worship. We have every reason to worship because God is a God who has loved us profoundly, who has forgiven us of all of our sins. That even when we're convicted, we can come before him and confess our sins and know he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to know that he has loved us in such a way that he has freed us from slavery to sin, paid the penalty of our rebellion, and restored us to dominion as new humanity in Jesus Christ. He's a good and a glorious God. And he loves you and he is for you. He's worthy of all your praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to conclude a little differently this morning. What we're going to do is uh, I want to take a full five minutes. (laughs) I want to take some time and just be silent before Jesus. I want to invite you to come and to bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Take the time that you need in your own heart to do business with Jesus. To repent of your sin, to to ask for courage to follow him, to, to start to worship him as he deserves. Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano. And I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, If you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christlychurch.ca slash Kitsilano.